Good morning, Journey. Oh, that wasn't good enough. Good morning, Journey. And welcome to Kansas City's coldest church. I am not sure why it is so cold in here, but I want to apologize. It, uh, it's not normally this cold. We don't have the ability because we rent this facility to control the heat or the air, but I do want to apologize. I think it's almost unreasonably cold. I watched people shiver through the first service under blankets and uh, hooded sweatshirts and jackets. It kind of looked like Chief Stadium in December in here. So I'm not sure what the weather will be like each week, but I apologize uh, that it's a little bit chilly today. We're in Matthew chapter 25 today, if you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. Every Sunday we like to open God's Word, read it. it it's always our uh, primary text for what we're going to learn. So if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. Just wave at them. They'll give you one. Um, if you don't know where yours is or you, or you really don't have a Bible, just put your name in this. It's yours. Keep it. It's our gift to you. We've given away nearly 500 Bibles since our church began 21 months ago, and we'd love for you to have one as well. If you forgot one and just need one to use, wave at the ushers. They'll give it to you. You can throw it on the table when you leave, and we'll give it out next week again. Or if you have your, your tablet or your smartphone or however you get on uh, into God's Word, Either open your Bible or turn it on or do what you do. Uh, and today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. And we are continuing today our series that we've been in all summer long. We're on the eighth week of a series we're calling Bedtime Stories, The Life of Jesus. And we're trying to learn how to follow Jesus by learning about Jesus. You heard Pastor Jason just a moment ago uh, mention the mission of our church. Our church exists to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians that make a difference in the world. So when we open God's word to study about the Bible, when we teach about Jesus, we're not just trying to learn about Jesus so you can pass a test. We're not just trying to learn about Jesus so you can win an argument. We're not just trying to learn about Jesus so you might have a few more answers, although all of those things would be beneficial for all of us. We're mainly trying to learn about Jesus so we can follow him, so we can become like him, so we can emulate his life and we can follow the pattern he can set for us and we can truly become Christians. The word Christian means a follower of Jesus. We're trying to learn about Jesus so we can become more like him. But probably nowhere more this summer do we read a text that has less to do with Jesus and more to do with us. So as we get ready to study today, I need you to get your bulletin and turn it to the back and have your pen ready to take notes because I believe out of the 11 messages that we have shaped and structured and put together for this summer to teach us about Jesus. I believe this message more than any other teaches us a lot more about ourselves than it teaches us about Jesus. But we learn from the life and the lips of Jesus today in Matthew chapter 25. We'll be in Matthew 25. We'll read verses 14 through 30. Get your pen ready. Uh, get your notes ready. Get your Bible ready. Get your heart ready. Get your mind ready. Here we go. Matthew 25:14 says again, it will be like now I need you to underline the words it will be like or highlight them or circle them or write them down. Do whatever you do to make those words stand out, because when you read the Bible and you enter into the middle of a story where Jesus says it will be like the natural response would would be what will be like Jesus is talking about something specific here that I'll point out to you in a minute. But you need to understand the context of what we're reading. He's talking about a specific, something specific, a specific time in life. Again, it will be like a man who's going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now. This is a narrative that Jesus gave to us. It's an important narrative, but it's even more important than you think it is because of those first few words in verse 14. It will be like what will be like, you see, the key question of today's text after we read through the text. And there's a lot of teaching we could do just in Matthew 25. But if we want to put it in context, the question that was asked of Jesus was what will the end times be like? What's it going to be like, Jesus, in the end? What's it going to be like when I stand before God? What's it going to be like when my life is coming to an end or when my life has come to an end? Jesus, what's it going to be like? Like at the very end of time, what is the end going to be like? You say, where is that? Matthew chapter 24, just so you can see it, because we're a few chapters into Jesus trying to explain what the end times will be like for you and for me and for his disciples. In Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3, it said Jesus left the temple. He was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the ages? Jesus, what's it going to be like at the very end? Jesus, what's it going to be like when my end comes? Jesus, what's it going to be like when everything is done and it's just me and God? Can I ask you what sounds like a crazy question, but I think it's a fair question in light of the text that we read today. Can I ask you a question maybe you haven't thought about this week, this month, this year, but I think it's a, it's a good question in light of what we're studying. Are you ready for the end of the world? And I'm not preaching today on the end of the world, but I think it's time to ask this question. And every now and then we should, are you ready for the end of the world? Are you ready to stand before God? Like if you stood before God before midnight tonight, are you, are you ready for your end? Are you ready for the end? Are you ready to stand before God? Because why that sounds like a crazy question that, that, listen, you don't want to talk about and I don't want to talk about. And probably nobody really wants to meditate deeply on their end. The reality is that all of us have an end. And I think about the youth group last night that was heading back from youth camp, a youth camp in Michigan, a church in Indianapolis, that as they were exiting off the highway two miles from their church, the bus flipped over and three people were killed and 26 teenagers are hospitalized. 
And it hit so close to home that one of the girls in our youth group, her cousin is one of the people in the hospital that was on the bus that flipped over. The reality is the end does come at some point and at some time. Last Sunday, I received a call from my mom telling me that my 35-year-old cousin, who's 12 days younger than I am, has been diagnosed with late-stage breast cancer. And at the very least, she'll undergo a double mastectomy within the next 10 days. And they hope beyond that that there is some kind of hope for someone who's my age who has three kids under the age of 10. You see, I don't like to talk about the end. I don't like to focus on the end. I I wish we all had the rest of our lives here and, and we had immortality and we never had to stand before God. But the truth is, one day we will. And, and, and maybe it's in a tragedy and maybe it's with a disease and maybe it's in old age. But the question I think that's fair to ask today in light of Matthew chapter 25 is, are you ready for the end times? Are you ready to stand before God? Because if today's text teaches us anything, it teaches us what the Apostle Paul told the church of Corinth. If you have your Bibles, I, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. And this is a verse that you should have underlined, circled, highlighted, memorized in your spiritual repertoire. Because the Apostle Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 25, basically the Apostle Paul summarizes it for us. But what we're going to learn is that the spiritual thread that runs through Matthew chapter 25, the spiritual principle that runs through Matthew chapter 25 is going to be the one we hear echoed in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul makes a statement that you have probably thought about, maybe one time you've made, and the statement is this, I can't wait to go to heaven. That's the statement that Paul makes. He basically said, every now and then I think about my life here versus my life in heaven, and I'd like to be in heaven. I don't think that's a far-reaching statement. I think all of us would say, yep, every now and then we've thought that. But Paul said the reality of going to heaven reminds me of something. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, we're confident, I say, and we'd rather prefer to be away from our bodies and at home with the Lord. Because of that, so then we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Verse 10, for we must all appear... Before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. Paul said, listen, man, every now and then I sit around and I think about going to heaven and I can't wait to go to heaven, except I'm reminded that one day when I get to heaven, here's the spiritual principle that runs through Matthew 25. Paul said, I'm reminded that I'm going to be accountable for my life in eternity. Paul said, I sit around, I think about heaven, I want to go to heaven, but I'm reminded that I'm going to be accountable for my life in eternity. Let me read to you again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. We're confident, I say, we'd rather be away from our bodies and at home with the Lord. So then we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us may receive what is due for us for things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, folks, I don't know if I just wasn't aware of it, or if I had never been alerted to it, but I was into my 20s before I realized that I would stand before God and be accountable for the way that I lived my Christian life. 
As a matter of fact, I thought that one day I would stand before God and the only thing I would be accountable for was my salvation. What did you do with the opportunity to accept Jesus? And in my mind, what, either what I had understood or what I had been taught was one day you're going to stand before the throne of God. And if you have received Jesus, he's going to let you into heaven. And if you haven't, you're going to be rejected and cast into outer darkness, a place that we know is hell. And I thought, you know, I have passed that test. I've given my heart to Jesus and I thought I was good. But then as I began to go to Bible college and as I began to understand theology, I realized that the New Testament actually speaks of two thrones, two places of judgment. One is called the great white throne where you stand and it is differentiated between those who have put their faith in Jesus and those who haven't. From there, all those who have put their faith in Jesus go to a second throne of judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. And there you're rewarded for what you've done in your Christian life. See, I didn't realize that I had a mission I didn't realize that I had a purpose. I didn't realize that I had responsibility. I didn't realize that I had things that were expected of me now that Jesus had given me eternal life, that I was supposed to return to him. And as I read Matthew chapter 25 and as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I realize how important it is for me to teach you that one day you're going to be accountable in eternity for the way you lived your Christian life. That's the spiritual principle I want you to know. And I want you to see three things as here's what I want you to do today. My goal is today to make you aware that you're going to be accountable in eternity for the way you live your Christian life. So you will embrace your Christian responsibility, according to Matthew chapter 25. Because the question was, Jesus, what's the end going to be like? And Jesus said, in the end, you're going to be accountable for the way you lived your spiritual life. And he said, let me kind of show you what that means and how that works. And he tells us a story to help us understand how we're going to be accountable. And I want to show you three things today that I have learned from the life and teaching of Jesus about my eternal accountability from Matthew chapter 25. First, I have learned this according to Matthew 25, 14 and 15. Every Christian has been called by God and gifted by God to actively serve God. If you are a Christian, God has called you to serve him. If you are a Christian, God has gifted you with the ability to serve him. You say, where is that at? Look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15, if you still have your Bibles open. And then keep them open to Matthew 25, because we'll we'll be in and out of Matthew 25 the rest of our Bible study time. Jesus said, it'll be like a man. What will? The end. The end times. Our end times accountability. It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So here's what we learn. On our spiritual journey, we have been gifted with something to serve God, and we've been called to go to work and serve God. That's what I understand the Bible tells me about my Christian life. Now, some of you say, wait a minute, Christian, there's there's only three people in Matthew 25. Christian, this is just a parable. Christian, this is just a story. You can't take from Matthew 25 that every Christian has been called and every Christian has been gifted, can you? Matthew 25 alone, I'll give you that argument, probably not. But as I read through the rest of the New Testament, I'm able to understand every Christian has been called and gifted to actively serve God. Now, the best place that's mentioned is probably one of the most well-known verses in New Testament theology, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. You see, in Ephesians chapter 2, we learn what I call the process and purpose of Christianity. You need to write that down. 
Because I wasn't taught this growing up in church. And listen, I, I, like I was someone who went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night of my life. Is there anyone in here like, like me three times a week? Yeah, yeah, three times. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And man, we never missed church. As a matter of fact, we went to church so often that the first time I ever remember missing church was in January of 1989 when my hometown Cincinnati Bengals made the Super Bowl against Joe Montana's San Francisco 49ers who would drive down and beat him in the last minute of the game. And for the first time in my life, I remember my dad letting us miss not Sunday morning, but Sunday night so that we could watch the entire Super Bowl. Listen, when you remember missing a Sunday night service, you realize how much you never got to miss Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. Yet in all those years of going to church... In going to college and getting an undergraduate degree, in going to seminary and getting two master's degrees, I never really understood the accountability that I would have to God until I began to understand the process and the purpose of Christianity. So what do you mean by the process and purpose? I mean, this is how Christianity begins in your life, and this is why it begins in your life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. That's the process. That's how you become a Christian. You put your faith in God. He gives you a gift to believe in Him. Nothing you do can make you a Christian. That's the process you, by how you become a Christian. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so anyone can boast. Verse 10, though, is the purpose of Christianity. Why are you saved? For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, before you were born, before probably the state of Missouri was a state, before the United States of America was a country, before North America had been discovered by travelers from the east, before any of that had happened, God knew who you were. Jeremiah 1.5 says he knew your name, he called you from the womb, he wanted you one day to meet him, to know him, and he knew that the minute you would become a Christian and put your faith in him, he had something for you to do spiritually and you would be held accountable for how you followed through on God's mission for your life. You say, Christian, I just, I don't feel like I've been gifted to to do anything spiritually. Well, you need to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 7, Paul says, talking to the church at Corinth, who didn't think they had been gifted to do anything spiritually, he said, you need to understand how spiritual things work. He says about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to be uninformed. And in verse 7, he said this, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everyone has been called by God to serve, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Everyone has been gifted by God to serve. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 7. What you have today is, what you have to do today is to figure out what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. Because the spiritual principle Jesus is teaching us about the end times is this. You're going to be accountable in eternity for how you lived your Christian life. And you're going to be accountable in eternity for the responsibility you took with your Christian life. Why? Because every Christian has been called and gifted to actively serve God. Number two, we learn from Matthew chapter 25 that Christians who are faithful to God will be fruitful to God. Christians who understand they've been called to serve. Christians who understand they've been gifted to serve. Christians who are faithful to try to serve will be fruitful in their service to God. You say, where is that, Christian? Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And here's what I want you to understand. As I studied through Matthew chapter 25 the last month, and I really began to hone in on what I needed to learn as a Christian, 
first and foremost, so that then I could come teach you what God had revealed to me for me and for our church. Here's the key fact that I learned about Matthew chapter 25. Here's really the key fact that God spoke to me about Christianity in general. Our faithfulness to God is always going to be based on our perception of our relationship to God. And I want to explain that to you according to Matthew 25, 14. Our faithfulness to God, how faithful we are to serve God, how faithful we are to realize we've been called, how faithful we are to realize we've been gifted. Our faithfulness to God is based on our perception of our relationship to God. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, circle the word servants, and entrusted his wealth to them. Here's the question I would have for you this morning. Do you consider yourself a servant of God? Just think about that for a minute. The Apostle Paul, every time he talked about his relationship to God, he would call himself, if you read through the New Testament books that he wrote, he would say, my name is Paul, I'm a bond servant of Christ. That liter- bond servant literally in, in our easiest vernacular would mean a paid slave. He basically said, my name is Paul. I work for God. I am his servant. How many of you in here, when you think about your relationship to God, you think of yourself as a servant? Let me, let me ask the question a different way. How many of you, when you think about your relationship to God, think of him as your master? He is your master, and you will do whatever he tells you to do. See, I think in church these days, we think of God as Savior, We think of God as forgiver. We think of God as the one who gives eternal life. We think of God as one who encourages and comforts us. But I don't know that there's a lot of us when we pray that call God master. I don't know that there's a lot of us when we think of our relationship to God that we we think of ourselves as slaves. That like we work for God. We'll do whatever he tells us to do. But really your reaction to this message, your reaction to anything in God's word will be based on your perception of your relationship to God. He's either your master or he's not. And it's interesting because when we think about those things in our life that demand the respect of the master, we react differently to them sometimes than we do to God. I mean, think about how you react to your boss. Would you question your boss as much as maybe you question or ignore the word of God in your life? Would you um, question your parents, for those of you who are younger? um, Would you question your parents the way that you question God or just ignore your parents the way that you ignore God? How about the United States government? Think about the way, because we respect the authority of the United States government, that we obey them. Let's, Let's do something as simple as the rules of the road, right? I mean, the, our government has a lot of rules and regulations. How many of you have ever been on the road and known what the speed limit is and tapped your brakes when you saw a state highway patrolman sitting on the median of the highway? Has that ever happened to anyone in the room in the name of Jesus, right? See, we respect, we respect the authority and the accountability we have to, to the state highway patrolman. We respect their authority to set rules and we respect that they have the ability to hold us accountable to keep them. So we do what they say because they are a master and we are a servant in that area. Think about paying your taxes. How many of us would choose to do with our taxes what we choose to do with our tithes? How many of us think the United States government gives us suggestions on what to give? 
And when they say give 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 because that's your tax bracket, we say, you know, I think I'm going to give 10 bucks. You see, we respect the authority of the United States government, and we know that they can hold us accountable to make sure that we meet those needs. So we do what they say. But a lot of times we hear God say, give this, and we think, you know what? Because I don't see God as master and myself as servant, because I don't see God as authoritative and myself as accountable, you know, I'm just going to kind of do what I want. Because we, we like to memorize John 15, 15, where Jesus said, I've called you friends. And we're like, you know, God's my fist bump friend. You know, he's kind of high five, pat on the rear. God's my friend. He's not my master. I'm not his servant. But we see in Matthew chapter 25, what makes these people faithful is their perception of the relationship. He is master. They are servants. He's going to do whatever they tell him to do. Now, I think I was 20, 21 years old before this concept began to hit my heart. And for those of you who are not there yet, let me say this. It probably took me a decade of being in ministry, of reading my Bible, of kind of one step at a time moving from God is Savior to God is Master. It took me a long time to learn to trust took me a long time to totally shift my life. took me a long time to get to the point where I said, God, whatever you say, you're, you're in charge. But it started at about 20 or 21 when I, for the first time, understood Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Here's what Galatians 2.20 says. You should jot this verse down, at least a reference. The Apostle Paul talked to the church at Galatians. He, here's how he understood his Christianity. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Paul basically said, I have traded places. 1 Corinthians 6 says that we have been bought. Paul basically said, I sold my life, I sold my eternity, I sold my past to Jesus. He bought me and he forgave me and he cleansed me and he cleaned me up and he gave me eternal life and he's going to use me now. But here's the deal, I traded places and, and I have died to myself. And I don't worry about, you know, if, if God wants an hour or two of my time during the week to serve, he has all of them. I'm his. If God wants my money, God can have all my money. He only wants 10%. Wow, what a nice guy. He could have all of it if he wanted it. God has all of my attention. Every rule that God has said. That's what the, the, the great proverb said. I think Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. Like everything God wants, but I'll just whatever God wants. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take you to get there, but you need to understand as a Christian, that's your tract of spiritual growth to get to the point where you can trade places with your old self and say, God is my master, I am a servant. Whatever he wants me to do, I'll do it. I told our teens at youth camp this, this year, that doesn't mean you're going to like everything. That doesn't even mean you're going to understand everything. But I told our teens this, there are a lot of things in Scripture I don't understand. Like, there are a lot of biblical questions you could ask me, and I would say, I, I just... I don't know how that works. I don't understand how that works. But I believe and follow because I'm a servant. And just like you don't ask your boss why. Listen, I have, I have maybe once or twice in my life been pulled over by a state highway patrolman. M- maybe once or twice or 10 or 11 or 12 times. Probably too many. But I have never, when they have walked to the window, I've never said, why is the speed limit this? Or I don't agree with it. I just, I obey it because it's posted and because they're the authority, I'm, and I'm accountable. And there's a lot of things in Scripture that in my heart I want to ask why, but because God is master and I'm a servant, it's just, okay, God, I'll do that, and I guess one day you'll help me understand how that works and, and why that works. You see, when you're a servant, you do what God says. 
And when the spiritual principle at work, of, at work is I'm accountable in eternity, a servant says, I'm going to go to work. If I'm accountable, I'm going to go to work. Look at Matthew 25, verses 16 and 17. Because he was master, because they were servants, he said, here's what you need to do. It says, the man who received five bags, verse 16, went and put his money to work and gained five more. The one with two bags gained two more. Listen, they went to work. They're like, if we're accountable to God and God is master and we are servants and God says go to work, we go to work. And look what happens when you go to work. Not only are you fruitful, but Scripture says spiritual rewards, not just spiritual fruit, but spiritual rewards are based on faithfulness to your task. When you agree to step out and begin serving God, not only are you fruitful spiritually, but you, you get rewarded spiritually according to Scripture. And I'll be honest with you, man, after knowing this, after preaching through this, after teaching through this, I saw something the first time this month that I have never seen in my life regarding Matthew chapter 25 and this parable, the bags of gold or parable, the talents, as many of you might know. I want you to look at verses 19 through 23 with me because I want you to see the spiritual rewards available to those who will be faithful. In verse 19, it says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The man who'd received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice the spiritual rewards were the same. The spiritual rewards for the one who gained five bags of gold were the exact same for the one who gained two bags of gold because the, res- the, result, the rewards are not based on the results of what you do with what you have. The rewards are based on the faithfulness of just doing something. You know what that tells me as I was studying through this message the last two weeks? Here's what it tells me about church today at JCI. Today it tells me that the preacher and the parking attendant get the same reward because it's based on faithfulness, not importance or value in the eyes of people. It tells me that the greeters and the guest musicians on our stage today get the same reward because God's rewards are based on faithfulness, not talent or ability. It tells me that those teaching little kids in the kids' ministry and those tearing down pipe and drape will get the same reward because God's reward is based on faithfulness. It tells me that those people who serve donuts and those people who serve communion at our church are going to get the same reward because God's rewards are based on faithfulness. It tells me that those who host guests on Sunday at our church and those who host small groups during the week are going to get the same reward because the reward is based on faithfulness. It tells me that those who pray behind the scenes and those who praise from the stage get the same reward because the reward is based on faithfulness, which means your reward and your fruitfulness is based on the ability just to do something. So I ask again, what are you doing for God? What has God said do? Where where has God said go? What has God led you to be obedient to that you've not done yet? And your lack of faithfulness is resulting in a lack of fruitfulness. And your lack of faithfulness is keeping you from getting any spiritual reward out of it. You see, the spiritual principle we learn is that we will be accountable in eternity. And here's what I've also learned this week. If the rewards are the same, the accountability is the same, which means this. The parking attendant today at our church is as accountable to do his job in the scope of our ministry today as I am to do mine. 
The person who stands outside and greets today is as accountable before God to do their job in the ministry of our church as Danielle is to do hers when she gets up. The people who are doing setup are as both accountable and rewarded as the people who will stay and do teardown. See, we all have a part to play. And it's why our church needs you and the next church you go needs you and the next church that you go to needs you. When you get moved out of the city or moved out of the state or God just leads you to go be a part of a different congregation, you have to go and you have to serve because you are accountable to serve God in this lifetime when you stand before him in eternity. And see, I I may be crazy, but I see our church having the same importance from the guys as I pray on Sunday morning. Our our church is a little different than others. Our church starts way earlier and ends way later than most because I know that the ministry of Journey Church International begins when the alarm clock goes off on the guys who are going to pick up the trailers sometimes at 4.30 or 5 a.m. That's when our ministry day starts. Today it was Trey Allen and Brett Dahmer. When their alarm clocks went off and they had to go way before anyone else was awake and drive out to Raymore and hitch up the trailers and bring them here, our ministry day as a church starts when their alarm clock hits and our ministry day ends when they pull into their driveway and for some of them it will be 1 30 or 2 p.m we'll be home from lunch we'll be taking a nap we'll be working in the yard we'll be watching the baseball game on tv in a couple weeks we'll be watching the chiefs play glory to god they're going to be better this year hopefully you know we're going to like do all those things and they're still going to be at church And see, I understand that as a pastor, when I get up, I pray for the people picking up and dropping off the trailers. I pray for the people who are here setting up. I pray for people who are stringing sound and running lights and doing video. I pray for people who are going to rock babies and teach kids. I pray for our parking ministry and our greeting ministry. I pray for people making coffee and making the donuts and getting it ready. I pray pray for people who are going to do tear down and roll up banners and full pipe and drape. I pray for ushers who are going to be here and stay later than most to count the offerings and input it. I pray for the people who after church today will follow up with visitors. See, I realize I play one small part of our church in a ministry week and I need the rest of the church to pull their weight. And what's sad is there are so many people that come to church every Sunday and they do nothing for the vision and for the mission. And it's interesting because we see the spiritual principle of being accountable in eternity, but we also in the midst of this same text, we see this spiritual picture of a selfish follower of Jesus We see a picture of someone who it's all about them. We see a picture of someone who doesn't want to really get involved. We see a picture of someone who doesn't want to go the extra mile. We see the picture of someone who doesn't want much accountability in their life. And where do we see that? In verse 18, we meet a selfish follower of Jesus. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 18. We know that one received five, one received two, one received one. In verse 18, it says, the man who'd received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Go over to verse 24. I want to show you how God, how Jesus challenged this thought of a selfish follower of Jesus. Verse 24, then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown, I gather where I haven't scattered. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, these are not my words. These are Jesus' words. This is not my description of someone at our church who's not serving because some of you are too new to serve. 
Some of you have come from a place where you're very tired, you're very burnt out, you just need to sit. Um, some of you have served too much and now you're taking a break. This, this isn't my terminology. You need to know I'm not accusing people at our church who don't serve. But I want to show you what Jesus said about someone who embraces salvation, forgiveness, heaven, but then will never do anything in return. Jesus used the words wicked, lazy, and worthless to describe someone who would take spiritually and never give back. Wicked, lazy, and worthless were his words. So here's the DNA of a selfish follower of Jesus. He said, these are people who will receive and accept radical blessing from the master. Now, somebody said, that wasn't radical blessing. Like, I bet if he had five bags, he'd have done something. Or if he'd have had two bags. Listen, how many of you would turn down one bag of gold today? Like, in my opinion, if, if I were to tell you, hey, we're going to give out bags of gold at the end of the service, but everyone only gets one, you would say, like, that's the most radical blessing anyone has ever given me. And we receive from Jesus this radical blessing and we receive it and we accept it. However, we will not invest anything spiritually. We will not share in anything spiritually. We refuse to produce anything spiritually. And we become spiritually detached from the mission of the master in our lives and in this world. And that's what Matthew chapter 25 is about. The recognition that you are on a mission from the master to be useful for Jesus. Now, what is the mission of the master? That's a, that's a good question. And I want to give you the answer to that through the lens of Ephesians chapter 4. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul summarizes the mission of the master this way. He said, God's mission for you. God wants to build his people so that they will build his church. So that the churches will build his kingdom. That's God's mission for the world. Build people to build the church, to build his kingdom. That's, that's God's plan for spreading the gospel throughout the world. Build people who will build the church, who will build God's kingdom. You say, where is that? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. He gave gifted people the ability to equip his people for works of service to the body of Christ. That's the church could be built up so that we could all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and so that we can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, which we would understand through the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. God wants to build people who will turn and build the church, who will in turn build God's kingdom on earth. That's the mission of the master. Yet some people take salvation, they take forgiveness, they take comfort, they take encouragement, and they say, I don't want to give anything back. Uh, you know, I want to take my bag of gold, I want to hide it. One day I want to stand before God and say, here's my salvation, and I want to go to heaven. But I don't want to do anything for you, Jesus. And folks, according to Matthew chapter 25, that's not a position that you and I want to be. And you say, Christian, are, are you preaching this message because we need more people to serve in our church? Not really. We have hundreds of people who volunteer in our church. We could probably get by for another year without one more person volunteering. However, as a pastor, I'm responsible to help you one day be ready to look God in the eye. And when God says, hey, what did you do? I want you to know that there actually was something for you to do. So my question for you is what's your role and when do you start? Because here's what I believe. I believe one day you will meet God and I will meet God. I believe that one day you will be accountable and I will be accountable for how we serve God. You are, you are not accountable to me. You're not accountable to our church. 
You're not accountable to your former church. You're not accountable to your next church, but you are accountable to God for how you lived your life and how you served God. So here's what I understand from Matthew 25. It's time today for you to get connected and for you to do your part in serving God at a church to build up his kingdom. No one in our church can do everything, but everybody can do something. I have one of my best friends in the world as a pastor in Overland Park, Kansas. And um, the last few years, Matt Castle and his wife, who used to be the starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, went to this church. And he told me, he said, Christian, you'll never believe it. He said, Matt and his wife are some of our lead greeters at our church. I said, you're kidding. You know, normally people like that want to get in late, leave early, not be talked to. And he said, yeah, Matt, because of his football schedule, he said he usually is only at church probably 20 or 25 Sundays a year. But he has given us those Sundays, and he has said, put us on the greeting schedule because I grew up going to church. My mom and dad served every Sunday, and when I'm at church, I need to serve. Now, if someone that busy can say, when I come to church, I'm going to get there 30 minutes early to serve, you can do that. Some of you in here, and you come 20 Sundays a year, 30 Sundays a year, 40 Sundays a year. You can't be here every Sunday, and you think, because I can't be here every Sunday, I can't do anything. If you can be here 10 Sundays a year, do you know you could serve 10 Sundays a year? Because one day you're going to be accountable. God's going to say, what did you do? And you say, well, I, you know, you can't say any longer. I didn't know. Whether you've been given one bag of gold or five bags, it's time to put your life to work for Jesus. Why? To grow yourself, to grow his church, and to grow his kingdom. Now, let me tell you what God revealed to me about a year and a half ago. I'm like many of you in that I came out of a bad church situation before I started this church. And I was burnt out. And I was overused. And I had maybe been mistreated by pastors and people in the church and just expectations that couldn't be met. And I was in a difficult place of serving God. So we started in January of 2011 meeting with five families in our living room. And nine and a half months later, we would start this church every Sunday, uh, every Sunday morning in, in this middle school. We've been going ever since September 18th, 2011. And that first year from January through the nine and a half month buildup all the way to Christmas, I kind of had the attitude that because I had been burnt out, because I had been mistreated a little bit, because I had been tired, that I was, I was only going to give a little bit. And I, like I was the pastor who started the church, but I was only going to give a little bit because I had, I had crossed the threshold of too much. And I got to the end of that first year and God said, Christian, you've given me a little bit and I'm rewarding you a little bit. And you have gone from being burnout spiritually to now you're selling out spiritually. And you're being very selfish with your time. And Christian, I have provided people who are giving to you so that you don't have to get two or three part-time jobs. For those of you who knew that our church has never paid me a dime in the first three years of the church, the, the plan was that the church would not have to support me pastorally. And God said, Christian, I've, I've given you these people in your life so that you can pour your life into the ministry, but you're holding back. When are you going to get faithful? And when are you going to get accountable? Some of you in here today, you're holding back. And I don't want to say you're worthless, but let me change the word. You are worth less at our church today than you used to be at your old church because you were so full of life and so full of service. And maybe you got beat up, maybe you got battered, maybe you got bruised. And you said, I'm just going to take a time out. But what you've ended up doing is you've ended up pushing God aside and saying, God, I don't have any more time for you, God. Maybe some of, some of you, when we first started the church, were engaged like gangbusters. But you're worth less to our church today than you were when we started because that first 90-day ramp up here was so hard. It was just like, hey, God, now I'm done for a little while. 
And one day when you stand before God and you're accountable, he's going to ask, what did you do to fulfill the mission of the master? I gave you salvation. I ask for your good works in return as I put you on mission. And you ignored that. I don't want us to have a church that ignores when God says, grow yourself to grow the church, to grow his kingdom. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray in just a minute. And then I'm going to ask you, we've put a card in your bulletin that 60% of you don't have to fill out because you're already engaged and you're serving. And if you were to stand before God, listen, we have a lot of people in our church today, if they stood before God today, they'd say, I remember all the mornings of setup. And I remember you, <clears throat> I saw you standing in the rain and the snow and the heat out in the parking tent. And I remember all the times you parked. I remember when that kid threw up on you in the nursery. And I remember when you had to chase that kid down the hallway in the kids' ministry. And I remember when you into a pipe and drape and it fell on your head because someone wasn't looking and they smacked you in the face. I mean, God sees what you do, but there are some of you who haven't done anything yet. And it's now time for you to get engaged. Because one day you're going to be accountable in eternity. And the way to serve the master is to do what he says. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, he said, get engaged. Get engaged with your church.